I'd like you to take a moment and ponder the word father. And when you think of that word, what comes to mind? I wonder if you can come up with a one-word description of a father. And if so, I'd love for you just to shout that out. Love. Gentleness. Leadership. Protective. Discipline. Providing. Strength, okay. That's all the good side. (laughs) I've asked that question in some groups and people have said things like mean, angry, drunk, or absent. But I think it's awesome when people can say, Faithful, godly, loving. The reality is we all have different perspectives on what a father is or what a father should be, and that's largely going to be shaped by our own experiences with a dad. None of those words we've just used, though, completely or fully or accurately describe God the Father because He offers so much more than we ever could expect from an earthly father. And we've been learning a lot about the fatherhood of God over the past few weeks. And this morning, we're going to wrap up by listening to Jesus as He tells a story, a vivid story that describes the unique nature and the unique character of God the Father. And this story is recorded for us in the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. I like to call it the parable of the father who lavishly forgives. I'd like you to listen as we read this story, as Jesus speaks to a crowd. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who had sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him, 
and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As we can see, this is a story about a conflict between a couple of sons and their father. But it's not really a story about a family. It's a parable. It's an allegory. And it's designed to teach us about relationships within the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus tells it. And because it's an allegory, it means that within this story, the father represents God. And the the sons represent the children of God. And just as some of God's children don't demonstrate respect for the heavenly father all the time, the two sons in this story don't seem to demonstrate much respect for their dad. And rather than receive their father's love, what they most want to receive is his assets. In other words, they're more interested in dad's gifts than in dad. I find myself wondering, do we ever act like that toward God? At the very outset of this parable, these two sons come across as selfish and unloving. They know that they will inherit certain assets when their father dies, but simply to even ask, hey, dad, who gets what when you go away is a gross insult in that culture. And to go beyond that and to demand your share early before the father dies is one of the most disrespectful things a son ever could say to a father. And yet that's exactly what this younger son does. By making this request, he effectively is saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to die so I can get my stuff. Imagine how you'd feel if you were that father. Here's where it gets interesting. When Jesus tells parables, he always 
describes familiar settings and known situations. He sets his listeners up for certain normal and expected outcomes, and then he usually throws them a curveball. And he does that here as he describes the father's response. Because right after the son makes this disrespectful request, the people listening to Jesus would expect his next words to be something like this. So the father disciplined his son by beating him harshly. That was the accepted response in that culture because in that culture you did not dishonor your father. But that's not what the father in the parable does. And as we read here in verse 12, the people hear Jesus say he divided his property between them. And when Jesus says those words, his audience would gasp. Their jaws would drop with astonishment. What kind of a father is this? He's certainly not like any father they've ever seen. And that's precisely the point. Jesus wants them to see that God the Father is not like an earthly father. And he doesn't discipline his children by beating them. God the Father disciplines us by sometimes letting us do stupid things if that's what we're committed to doing. He disciplines us by letting us experience the consequences of our own choices with the hope that we will wake up. And so he gives his youngest son what he asks for. But the older son, he's also in on the deal. Because the inheritance is divided between the two boys. They both get their share. And we need to understand that in that culture, the older son always has greater rights. So he could choose to speak up and perhaps put a stop to this. He could speak up on behalf of dad and on behalf of family honor and being respectful, but he does not. And so he willingly participates in this disrespectful act. And what this reveals is two sons who are very far from their father, emotionally and relationally. Dad loves them, but they don't seem to display much love for him. In very distinct ways, each of these sons turns their backs on their father. The older son stays home to work in the fields and protect his inheritance, while the younger son leaves home to indulge himself and he squanders his inheritance. He squanders his inheritance because he misunderstands the role that money and pleasure is designed to play in our lives. The Bible tells us that money is a tool we manage and that pleasure is something we should experience in moderation. But so many people get this wrong and they wind up serving money and pleasure as idols. And that's exactly what happens to this younger son. And so as we see here in verse 13, he gets far away from dad, far away from dad's guidance and influence, and he blows everything through wild living. Now we're not told exactly what he does, but he likely spends his money on gambling and drinking and partying and sexually related acts. In other words, he would blow it pretty much the way people would blow their money today. 
And so he runs through all of his money. And then a regional famine occurs and he is in deep trouble. Desperately hungry, desperate for any way to make a living, he winds up tending pigs. And this is the worst possible job for a Jew to perform. So Jesus is painting a picture here of a man who is at the bottom. And sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes people have to hit the bottom to wake up. In my last church, I used to work for a while with people who were trapped in drug addiction and alcohol addiction, and it broke my heart that some of them would acknowledge their own self-destructive behavior and yet not make any effort to change. And it usually took some kind of personal crisis for them to come to their senses. They had to hit bottom before they would make a commitment to turn their life in a different direction. And that's certainly the case with the son in our story. He's starving to death. And he's so desperate for food that he's even willing to eat pig swill. That's pretty far down. And finally then, he breaks. Finally, he comes to his senses and realizes that he is lost apart from his father. He's in a place where he is unloved and nobody cares about him at all. As a result of this huge self-inflicted wound, he finally realizes just how much he needs the Father. He needs to get back home, home to where the Father is. And so he plans out his confession. He's prepared to forego the privileges of a son and be treated like a servant simply to be restored to his Father. And perhaps... For the first time in his life, his relationship with his father now is more important than money or status or pleasure. And having made his plans, he starts back. And that is such a beautiful picture of repentance. I think it's ironic that he's with these pigs because just like pigs love to wallow in the mud, this man could have wallowed in sorrow and guilt for years, regretting his decisions but making no effort to change. That's what we so often do. It's when he turns and begins to head for home that the process of repentance begins. Repentance is not saying, I think I should change. Repentance is actually making a change. Changing the direction of life, and that's what this man does. Years ago, someone said to me, what matters most in life is not where you are. It's what direction you are headed. I think there's a lot of wisdom in those words. Now, it's no fun to be at the bottom, but it's much better to be at the bottom heading up than to be at the top heading down. And this son is at the bottom. But finally, 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 he is heading in the right direction. And he obviously has no idea what to expect when he arrives home. But but when he arrives, his father's welcome surpasses his wildest expectations. 
And as Jesus continues to tell this story, and as he describes this insulted and dishonored father, he does so once again in ways that go completely against the culture of that day. Once again, what Jesus says here would produce a gasp of astonishment from his audience. First, he says that this father runs to meet his son when he sees him coming. Now, in the ancient Middle East, fathers were men of dignity. And particularly if you were a man of means, with property and servants. And a man like that did not run. It was undignified. But this father is looking and waiting and he sees the son and he runs to greet him and he falls on him and he kisses him. And the original Greek text implies that this is not just the kiss of greeting. This is a kiss on the cheek again and again and again. There is emotion and affection and joy in this greeting. The father lays aside all of his dignity to give his son An incredible welcome. And why does he do that? Because as we read here in verse 24, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. And think about this. Not only has dad been eagerly looking for his wayward son, not only does dad run to greet him, he throws a party for him. He throws a party for a son who insulted him, a son who frivolously wasted his inheritance, a son who brought dishonor on the family. And this father does not criticize. Instead, he goes overboard to restore his son. He robes him with honor. He gives him the family ring of authority. He places shoes on his feet to distinguish him from a barefoot slave. And then he throws a feast, killing a choice fat calf so that the whole village can join the celebration. And they eat and they dance and they sing. It is a lavish celebration. Not not for a conquering hero, but for a son who failed spectacularly. This father's actions demonstrate lavish love and lavish forgiveness. And Jesus is telling this parable so we will understand that this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what we can expect from our heavenly father when we come home to him with humble and repentant hearts. Jesus wants us to know that when we turn to God, he will welcome us with emotion and affection. He's going to celebrate because nothing is more important to God than when one of his children come home. They begin to celebrate. What a great ending to the story. But it's not over yet. It's not over because there's an older brother and he's got some issues. And as Jesus now describes this older brother, we see a stark contrast between these two sons. You see, the son ultimately realized that he was lost. So he came home in an attitude of repentance and reconciliation. The older son tragically is lost and doesn't even know it. 
He is so distant from the Father and so distant from the Father's house that he's clueless about events. He's focused only on himself and on what he perceives as his duty. And so he hasn't wandered to a far-off land, but he's far from the Father. And I think we need to be careful that we don't become like the older son in our own relationship with the Heavenly Father. Because when we view our connection with God as one of duty, then we're going to act as if we've earned the right to the Father's love. We're going to act as if God owes us something. And that's exactly how this older son behaves toward his father. When he hears what's going on, he approaches his dad, and he's got quite an attitude. As we see here in verse 29, he says, All these years I've been slaving for you. Slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders. And he complains, Dad, you never threw me a party. There's an attitude of entitlement in this son. And so he speaks to his father with great disrespect. In fact, he doesn't even call him father. And he refers to his younger brother as your son rather than my brother. And what is so heartbreakingly sad is this older brother's self-righteousness causes him to view his younger brother as disobedient and rebellious, but so is he. He doesn't really love his father. He just serves his father. He misunderstands what it is to be a child of God. And it's a mistake that many Christians can make. We can be so busy serving God that we don't really know Him or have much of a connection with Him. And then once again, how does the father respond? He has every right to punish his son for this disrespectful outburst, but he does not. He simply explains what the relationship between a father and a son should be like. And once again, we see the Father display the forgiveness that is the natural product of His very lavish love. And so as the Father says here in verse 31, this older son could have had a party any time. All he had to do was ask. And the fact is, this older son experiences the blessings of living with his father each and every day. He's got a roof over his head. He's got clothes on his back. He's got food on the table. But he takes all of that for granted. And we can't forget how this story began because this older son has already received his inheritance. The father divided it up. So the stuff was there for him to use. There was nothing holding him back from celebrating. It was his choice to labor like a slave. It was his choice to stay distant and aloof and focus on duty rather than on a rich, rewarding, and loving relationship. The kind of relationship that this father wants to have with his children. 
And despite, despite the coldness and the arrogant demands, this father displays a gentle heart and loving forgiveness toward the older son. And he also invites him to participate in extending a lavish forgiveness toward the younger son. The father says it's always time to celebrate when a lost person comes home because the most important thing in the world is the relationship between this father and his children. This connection transcends everything because this father wants every one of his children to come home and experience his lavish love and lavish forgiveness. Jesus tells this parable because he wants us to understand this core value of the kingdom of God. He wants us to understand that the heavenly father wants all of his children, wherever they may be, to realize that we are lost apart from him. And it doesn't matter whether we're wandering and squandering or staying and slaving. In both cases, we can be disconnected from the Father. And when we come to our senses and we come home, oh, it is time to celebrate. It's always time to celebrate when lost people come home to God our Father. Over the years, I've discovered that this story actually makes some Christians get angry. They get angry because it doesn't seem fair. And like the older son in the parable, they feel that their, that their faithful service has not been properly acknowledged. And they get resentful when others get the celebration that they feel they deserve. But I think that kind of reaction results from a great misunderstanding. We can feel that way when we view the Christian life of one as duty and following the rules. And when we view the Christian life through that lens, then we fail to grasp the lavish love and lavish forgiveness of God our Father. I've also discovered that some Christians wander away. And then come back, and then wander away again, and then come back, and then wander away again, and then come back. They fall into a cycle that's repetitive. A, a rep, it's a cycle of self-indulgence, and it's followed by half-hearted repentance. They take the forgiveness of God for granted. And they never really come to their senses the way the younger son does in the parable, so they never experience the very best that the Father has for them. And once again, it results from a great misunderstanding. We behave that way when we fail to grasp the depth of our own shortcomings and failures. And we fail to grasp the truly lavish love and forgiveness that God wants to pour over us. And as we think about the implications of this parable, I think we need to realize that Jesus is speaking to us. He's talking about a father and his sons. He's talking about people who already are in the family. 
Jesus is pointing this parable directly at the hearts and minds of believers. And he wants you to ask, and he wants me to ask, am I in any way like these sons? Am I far from the Father? And missing out on his lavish love and lavish forgiveness. And if so, Jesus wants us to know that the Father is watching, eagerly looking. He's ready. He's anxious to run out and meet us and to throw a feast in our honor to welcome us home when we come back to him. That is the never-ending promise of our Father. And there's also a message of hope here for those who are not yet in God's family. There's an invitation here to say, you can become a child of God. And all you have to do is take your very first step of faith. Repent, be baptized, and let the Heavenly Father shower you with His forgiveness. Wherever we find ourselves today, there is an amazing invitation here from the creator of heaven and earth, almighty God who is our Father. And the invitation is this, come home to the Father today.